A man accused of involvement in Rwanda's brutal genocide 30 years ago has been found to be living in Australia. He has never faced court over allegations that he took part in mob attacks that killed members of the Tutsi minority, and he insists that the accusations are false. A second man accused of similar crimes during the 1994 genocide is also believed by Rwandan authorities to be in Australia. The men's entry into the country has raised questions about Australia's screening process and the willingness of authorities to investigate alleged international crimes. Now, a joint report by Four Corners and The Guardian newspaper reveals that both men are being sought by the Rwandan government, which has been accused of weaponising the genocide to pursue dissidents abroad. Guardian reporter Ben Doherty has travelled to Rwanda for the story, which will air on Four Corners tonight. Ben, good to talk to you again. Good morning, Sally. What do we know about these men who are living in Australia? Look, we know that uh, both uh, that the Rwandan government has issued these indictments to Australia for these two men it believes are living in Australia um, and, and, as you mentioned, it alleges were complicit in murder during the genocide. One of the men is an Australian citizen. He lives in suburban Queensland. Uh, the other one essentially is, is almost a ghost. There's no record of him in Australia, despite people telling us they've seen him here, his family living in Australia, um, who say they don't know where he is and the Rwandan government insisting that, that, that he's here. So there, there, there still is, I suppose, um, significant confusion uh, or, or um, uh, uncertainty, certainly around the second man. You went to Rwanda to speak to some of the witnesses and uh, some of the survivors. What did they tell you? We went late last year to, to Rwanda and to the places where these men have come from and we went to the villages where they were um, and we, we sat down with the people there. We sat down with survivors uh, and spoke to them about what they remember, what they saw, what, what happened to them and to their families. But we also sat down with perpetrators, uh, people who were listed on, on, on indictments alongside these men um, and uh, who, who told us about what they saw, what they did, what, what what they were ordered to do. We also went to what's called the, the Gachacha Court archives, the Gachacha Courts, and I know, Sally, you know yep. Rwanda well. Um, the Gachacha Courts were these local level courts, these community courts set up in, in public squares, in marketplaces and presided over by, by locally elected lay judges. Both of these men went before those courts in their absence. Those, those courts uh, tried and convicted those men in their absence. Now, those uh, that's a... <laughs> Those are, um, are, are legal proceedings that, that had their criticisms uh, around fairness to defendants and those sort of things. Um, so we are treating these allegations exactly as those. These are incredibly serious allegations, but we're not making any presumptions in our, in our investigation about, about guilt. What we are saying is there are these very serious allegations that have been made against these men. There have been indictments formally issued by the Rwandan government to Australia for these men to be either prosecuted domestically here in Australia or sent back to Rwanda to face fresh trials. And Ben, of course, one of the, the truly horrific trademarks of the Rwandan genocide in 1994 was that this was a very personal conflict in two ways. Often it was neighbours killing other neighbours and also that the means of killing rather than large scale warfare, it was very up close and personal. Um, large stocks of machetes were shipped into the country mm. before uh, the genocide. So people uh, identifying uh, alleged perpetrators for very specific uh, crimes. This has been quite an ongoing feature of, of the justice aftermath in Rwanda. 
That's exactly right, Sally. This was this was a, a, a nationwide genocide, and a, as you mentioned, a, a state-sponsored plan to exterminate the country's Tutsi minority. And in just over a hundred days, at least half a million people were killed. Uh, but it was also at the very same time very local. It happened in communities. It was neighbours attacking neighbours, colleagues attacking colleagues. People knew who these uh, offenders was, uh, who these offenders were because they were there. It was happening at the local level. It was organised locally. Um, so for a lot of the survivors we spoke to, both in Rwanda and in Australia, the, the search for justice, which is ongoing after, after 30 years, still feels very personal and and very visceral. Mm. And when it's you know your neighbours in some cases who've who've carried this out, it's um mm. it's horrific uh, in many senses. What's Australia's reaction been to these cases and these requests from Rwanda? One of the indictments is very recent. It was only sent in January. Uh, the other was sent uh, in two thousand and seventeen, and this is for the man for whom there is no formal record of being in Australia. So. There, there hasn't been, I, I suppose, an overt uh, public response from uh, for, uh, from the Australian government. We're told by sources that investigations have been made and these things are always considered. It does need to be mentioned that that justice in Rwanda is complicated. Um, this is a country that that went through an extreme trauma and mm. uh, and and a society that that still bears those scars very much. Um, the Rwandan government is led by a man named Paul Kagame, who was a general in the Tutsi rebel army that ended the genocide. But in the decades since, the Rwandan government, while it's brought extraordinary economic development and stability and peace to that country, the government has become increasingly repressive and authoritarian. Um, as you mentioned at, at the outset, it's been accused, I suppose, of, of almost weaponising genocide allegations in, in some cases to pursue dissidents. But we are seeing these allegations being pursued around the world and uh, we've there. There have been convictions in courts in Europe. Um, there have been extradition requests to the UK and and elsewhere, where we are seeing alleged perpetrators put on trial either in host countries or being extradited back to Rwanda to to uh, to face courts. And in Rwanda itself, as you would have found as well, um, Ben, many of the sentences that were handed out to those who were convicted in Rwanda of some of these crimes, many, many of the perpetrators uh, are finishing their sentences and are about to return to the community. So even though we're talking about what happened in 1994, this issue is well and truly alive as people try and reintegrate some of the perpetrators back into their community. Indeed, and, and and that's been a real focus in in Rwanda is how does how do you knit a country back together after some uh, su such a seismic upheaval, such such trauma committed within these communities, and and we, we did see that we we sat down with survivors and we sat down with the perpetrators that that killed their families, and they they live side by side in these communities, and um, in lots of ways it's been an extraordinary effort to to try to find a way to reintegrate to 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 knit a country back together, but. As you say, it's an ongoing project. Ben, so good to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for your time, Sally. That's Ben Doherty from The Guardian. Uh, the Guardian and the ABC working together on this story about Rwanda, which will air tonight on uh, ABC TV on Four Corners.